and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time is here. That's right, we're talking happy birthday to me, 1981, on Kill by Kill. Greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from the Crawford Academy, or as close to it as we can possibly afford considering none of us live in Canada. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We will be unpacking all the gory details of Happy Birthday to Me on this special anniversary birthday edition of the podcast, in the hopes that a member of the top 10's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make about them. And as always, there's only one person that I trust to come up with me into a creepy belfry and cut the rope and maybe a good portion of my hand for no particular reason, the one and only Gina Radcliffe. How you doing, Gina? Well, Patrick, it's it's a magical day. Okay, maybe not so much a, a magical day, as a okay. special day. It is it, a very special. It's 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 our birthdays almost, <laughs> Be, because the 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 what the listener doesn't know is Patrick and I have a, a strange amount of things in common for someone who was raised by Mormons and someone who was raised by people who hung out with biker gangs, and one of those things we have in common is our birthdays are very close to each other. That's very true. We have a lot of pop culture things in common, weirdly, uh, and we share some sort of cosmic confluence where we are similar but we could not be more different in our backgrounds exactly um and also i think we're both leos which is shocking that we're not constantly talking over each other during this 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 uh this show and demanding the attend the audience's attention as much as possible no i try to shy away from it honestly If anyone's followed my Twitter presence, yeah, I'm great at getting everyone's attention. (laughs) That's sarcasm, everyone. (laughs) And so we had played around with the idea of doing what was one of our mutual favorites that doesn't necessarily fit into the Friday the 13th universe. Happy birthday to me. But there, it, we, we love it. Well, we'll get into that, right? Let's bring in our guest and 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 have her uh, talk about it herself. Uh, our guest today uh, is a fantastic writer, and if you're not following her on Twitter, you should be already. It is the one and only Anya Novak. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me, guys. Thank you ever so much for being here, taking time out of your day because there are better things that you could be doing. Let's be honest. Uh, I don't know. When when it comes to talking about horror, I'll do it as long as someone will let me do it, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will let you do it here. And is the tradition on the Kill by Kill podcast. Now, usually we ask people, you know, like, when was the first time you saw Friday the 13th? Well, the hell with that. That was never filmed in Canada. That's not true. I think a couple of them were. Anyways, <laughs> not yet. We haven't gotten to those yet. We're talking about Happy Birthday to me. So, this is obviously not on the same legendary or infamous scale as of Friday the 13th. So when was the first time you came across it? I'm going to be totally honest. When you contacted me for this podcast and said, <laughs> you, should, you should watch this. Um, I said, okay, all right. I had heard of it, but I had, I had never watched it. And so I watched it the other day 
and I was blown away by it. I loved it. It was amazing. I was like, why isn't why isn't this more famous? This was an awesome movie. So yeah, that was my yeah. first time. Yes. I like this. My personal history with Happy Birthday to me was that I worked at Blockbuster Videos growing up, and Happy Birthday to me has a fantastic piece of cover art. Its poster is so much more evocative than the actual contents of the movie. <laughs> it's almost selling something that it isn't. What it is is fantastic. I'm just not entirely sure that the shish kebab image and six of the most bizarre deaths they'll ever see is the best way to sell it. And I say this as a marketing professional. Um, so as soon as I saw that cover in the horror section, I knew I had to rent it. And so I think the first time I was like, oh, it's kind of slow. Uh, it's kind of weird. But every subsequent viewing of it, I gained a greater appreciation for what it's actually offering. Gina, what's your experience with Happy Birthday to Me? Well, it's funny you should mention the, um, the cover art because this was one of those covers that I refused to watch the movie for many years because it just freaked me out. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, you know, the, you have like the covers for like the movie Maniac, which we're just like, yeah, no, no fucking way. I'm not watching this. <laughs> and, 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 you know, I, I was pretty, you know, I, I, I didn't have, you know, a, a particularly low tolerance for horror. There was just something really creepy about, you know the shish kebab going into the guy's mouth, and then of course when I was a uh, when I was a teenager, I was like, oh, that's that's kind of goofy, and I ended up watching it, and wow, wow, this movie is really nutty. <laughs> it is. It and is I, so overly dramatic. Um, yeah, and I I not watched it in a long time since before I watched it tonight, and I was like, there's so much I forgot about it. <laughs> Um, I had the privilege of seeing it here in town. Played at the Nubev um, a few months ago, around the spring, um, and I got to see it with people who had never seen it before, and that's always a great thrill because they're experiencing it in real time. Their reactions are very real, and so there were a lot of people who had just known it by name only or cover art only. And we're very surprised with some of the twists and turns, and that it's not a complete schlock fest. There's a lot of legit directing going on here. J. Lee Thompson, the man who directed this, has been directing things since the 40s. I mean, he directed the original Cape Fear, The Guns of Navarone. Uh, he directed a ton of tough guy flicks with Charles Bronson throughout the 80s, including some real gross ones. Uh, Ten to Midnight and oh. Kinjite Forbidden <laughs> Subjects. I mean, the worst. I'd yeah. also like to interject and note yes. that he uh, also directed uh, Conquest of and Battle for the Planet of the Apes, some of the better sequels in the uh, original series. Yes, and some of the sequels that took character and pushed that forward. Absolutely. And I think you, you, you see a lot of that here. Um, so there's a a great amount of relish in how this is presented. Uh, this isn't someone's just their their foray into making films. This guy's been doing it, so he's very confident about what he wants to do, where he wants to place the camera, and the message he wants to deliver in every scene. There's not a ton of flubs. It's not. It's not. It's. Uh, it's trying to be confusing on purpose. It's not just confusing because the the filmmakers don't know what they're doing. 
So there's that. There's a, a lot of confidence behind the camera. Um, and he really relished the idea of, sh of blood on screen. Uh, he was famous for yelling, more blood, more blood, my God, why isn't there more blood? Uh, and some of this is, uh, got cut a little bit by the MPAA. Uh, I don't think Columbia was super enthused uh, getting into the gore game up against Paramount's Friday the 13th and whatnot. Um, but that being said, uh, there's a lot of fun to be had. So let's get into it right away and um this sort of starts right out the gate uh we get credits and we meet bernadette bernadette as we are told is the member of the top 10 of crawford academy this is the upper echelon of the students now i might i'm to assume that these are the academic top 10 rather than just they the group you want to be in they didn't make that quite clear. There's, there, they don't. None of them appear particularly smart in any way. All no. I know is that it has something to do with everybody wearing matching Doctor Who scarves. <laughs> there was, there was a jock in the group. There was kind of like a couple of pretty girls, and and there was definitely that one nerd guy. Yeah, yeah there was like like Alfred, who who, as is mentioned several times, is a taxidermist. Right, so maybe yes. maybe they come from old money or something like that, where they're, they're, you know, maybe it's their wealth that makes them so elite. There's so few other students in the school that it's it's hard to determine exactly who they're supposed to be more popular than. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we only kind of see the ones that uh, that get slashed up, really. Yeah, when they're all in, in that one classroom at, at the science class, they're all piled up against the front desk and everyone else is like spread out, but they're all sitting together, like practically on top of one another. So it's this weird, competitive, non-competitive, polyamorous, but not relationship that they all have going on. They're, they're like, they're like, they're like every group of friends at a slasher movie and that they're a bunch of obnoxious assholes who don't seem to like each other very much. <laughs> yeah. But there's a reason, I, I guess this at least gives them an excuse, as opposed to why we could never figure out why the group in Friday the 13th Part 3 are together. There's no through line of why they would ever pile into a party van. It just doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever. Here, at least, you know, they're all, this is a school you primarily get sent to. A lot of these people are living on sort of campus dorm situations. Uh, they all seem to be 18 because they're all drinking. They all just leisurely walk into each other's houses, too. Or break into oh. them, as, as we see in a couple scenes. Yeah, they have no boundaries whatsoever. So we meet Bernadette right away, who manages to uh, trip over a dog leash that sounds like <laughs> Indiana Jones is wielding it against Nazis. I, I legitimately thought someone like whipped a they like cracked a bullwhip around her legs and 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 pulled her down. I'm like, this is getting off to a pretty quick start. Oh, it's a bulldog. Okay, <laughs> I guess uh, they're trying to portray this as vicious, but that doggy looks very nice. That's a very nice doggo. He's adorable. He's just surprised because everything in this movie is dark. And it's dark on purpose. It's dark because the night is actual dark. It's not lit up like a movie premiere is behind every corner. And this is where we meet Mrs. Patterson. Mrs. Patterson is very anti-equivocation. When she when she states, isn't this silent lady pub the place that the top ten hangs out? And Bernadette's like, I don't know, maybe. 
She's like, <clears throat> yes, it is. She wasn't okay, having yes, that. It is. Yeah. I, she, this isn't journalism school. She doesn't have to, like, cite sources here. And she's like, that, that typical, you know, grandma who, who thinks that any kind of relaxed attitude is sassing, you know, or, or attitude. <laughs> Back sassing me, girl. I've, I've known those grandmas. I've had those grandmas. So I, I get it. I like this. This is information we need. So uh, Bernadette walks away from that and immediately makes the assumption that that dog is giving oral pleasure to Mrs. Patterson because old people can't find sex. We all know this. And, and, and I think they just need to establish nice and early on that these are all awful people. Yeah, early on you kind of figured out that she's kind of a garbage human being. They're all garbage in their own unique ways. Their own their own special brand of garbage. Um, Bernadette uh, hops into her car, uh, and then we get this sort of what I assume is a vibe off of the original '78 Halloween, where the killer is hiding behind in the backseat and reaches over, and we get this very long struggle that illustrates once again whether it's inside of horror films or outside of horror films. Strangling people is hard, so I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it seems like it's hardly worth the effort. Especially when you are hiding a straight razor on your person. You could have done that, but no, we're gonna we're gonna build tension. I get the reason why. But there's <laughs> a there's there's a bit of faux cat and mouse here where Bernadette uh, plays possum, passes out, revives herself, and runs out the car. So the killer is running around with her own set of giallo gloves. And apparently, every other character in the movie has the same gloves. It's like they bought them all in bulk. That's true. They were given to them when they got their, they were given to them when they got their scarves. And it's good you say that, because the film seems super giallo influenced. From the, the black gloves to that, that horizontal lighting that emphasizes the victim's frantic eyes. And that glimmering straight razor the full frontal throat slash, all that stuff. That that seems like J. Lee Thompson had definitely watched some Argento in the years before making uh, Happy Birthday to Me. You know, J. Lee Thompson, he's bringing to this a highly Eurocentric flavor mm -hmm. uh, that you're not going to get with some local yokel who's like, hey, I convinced the dentist to give me 25 grand. Let's make a movie. You do the movie makeup. <laughs> Uh, Bernadette runs around that uh, parking structure and does a lot of silent praying. She doesn't do a lot of, holy shit, can someone help me? So she's she's caught Friday the 13th disease, which is <laughs> the thing you know how to do, you suddenly do not when you need to be able to do it. And that, that was frustrating because she was smart enough to play possum and, yes. and to, to, you know, kick the door open and get out and everything. But then she just... she freaking kills me she nearly gets strangled to death she gets away she stops 15 feet away from where she left the killer who's still there and I, I can't believe that no one called that out during the script process like no one is a stupid you've got to rewrite this scene but you know she gets away uh, only to you know uh, run into someone familiar yes and this is the first of the movie's many oh it's you yeah <laughs> there's a lot of it's you's in this where oh yeah, they're, they're we we understand that the killer is familiar to the victim, but we don't. Well, we can't in any way, shape, or form give away who that is. So there's a lot of disassociated personification going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't even a, think that's it, a real. It term. Would 
there's a lot of things that I like about this movie. I don't know that the music is one of them. It constantly sounds like it's being uh, underscored by something they pulled from the catalog of Macmillan and Wife. It's just, it sounds very TV, and it sounds very generic. You didn't enjoy that like generic disco music that she puts on while, uh, while, while our heroine puts on while she's very slowly and methodically taking her clothes off? <laughs> yeah, I was very desperate to try to figure out what it reminded me of. And I think it's Stephen Bishop. He had a lot of AM gold hits. It's a lot of twinkly pianos. It's like the soundtrack, everything that you would hear inside the Legal Beagle. That's, or the Regal Beagle. <laughs> Excuse me, I fucked up well, my the, own joke. The beginning the beginning of the, the disco song, I thought it was going to be some kind of Steely Dan thing. And then, then it just turned into straight disco. <laughs> it's kind of all over the place. Uh, but it, it builds up in weird places. It's, it's a little generic. I, I wish we were a little bit better. I think that would probably help the film standing. Regardless, Bernadette reaches out towards somebody she believes she recognizes and she pays for that with her life as she gets slashed real well with a straight razor a much better gag than uh savini was able to manage in the woods in friday the 13th if i'm going to pick favorites <gasps> you slandered savini <laughs> uh, he's done much better he did better before and he did better after the problem with that particular gag in the first one is that uh, she has to gulp in order for it to work. They had a couple air bladder problems throughout that movie. <laughs> so in terms of just quality, I like this one a little bit better. It it just it seems gorier and nastier and realer. I mean, yeah, I it's, know it's, it's fake. It's just this movie is just gory enough. It's it's not as over the top as I remembered it being, but but still pretty pretty decent. I like the uh, the full frontal. Uh, shot of the throat slash instead of from the side. I hate I hate throat slashes from the side because I'm a weird person and I'm picky about my throat slashes. <laughs> um, I, I like Opinions. the yeah, I like the full frontal, you know, uh, uh, close up shot of the throat slash with the copious uh, blood flow and I thought that uh, Happy Birthday to Me did a good job with that. So RIPD Bernadette, we don't know anything about you other than you're kind of gross, but you probably didn't deserve <laughs> death. I don't know that we ever figure out why Bernadette needed to die other than she was convenient? I don't know. So cut to the silent woman. Uh, this is a mysterious pub in town that is serving 18 year olds. That's how you know you're in Canada. 18 year olds get served beer. And, Shriner, uh, and, and a Shriners convention. Oh, my God. They're right to be angry, to be honest with you. That's fucking obnoxious, what they're doing here. <laughs> That's not cool. You don't come to a public place and sing 99 bottles of beer on the wall. I can Save imagine, that. yeah, just one little one little ditty, one little like sea shanty or two. That's fine. But 99 yeah. bottles of beer, the road trip song? Fuck you. That's <laughs> a whole lot of them. I don't put a rat in their beer, too. your loud jackets. Shit. And your terrible fezzes. <laughs> they deserve more rats in their beers. That's what I have to say. It was satisfying once, uh, you know, that guy saw the rat. He's just like, you little shit. You know, he was so mad about it. <laughs> it was it was satisfying to me, even though oh. that meant that I had to side with the the garbage kids you know, from the uh, from the, who, the school. Who started a, a, a bar brawl at their favorite 
you know, drinking establishment. Just, right. just for the hell of it. For, for shits and giggles. Because they want yeah. to. If we're establishing that these are the smartest, most popular kids, <laughs> they don't display a whole hell of a lot of smarts. No. That's where they're coming up short. I can believe that they're rich to a degree, although, uh, you know, some of them don't really read that way, but others just don't fucking care about money at all. Well, let's get into it. Let's meet everyone. Let's do a quick body count. Um, They're all at the Silent Woman, which uh, is coming in second place to the Slaughtered Lamb in the obviously titled Pub Name Contest. And this is where we meet everybody else. Let's start from the top. Virginia Ginny Wainwright. She's ostensibly our protagonist. She's also a mysterious brain injury sufferer. Uh, She's played by Little House on the Prairie's uh, Melissa Sue Anderson in what was supposed to be her stab at I'm a woman now sort of movie role. Uh, and she's also in serious need of a hot VO5 treatment throughout the entire. Oh of the yeah, <laughs> the, the hair. I just my, my eyes were just drawn to the split ends. It was just it actually was distracting in a few scenes. I had wondered it's, if that was a conscious choice on the the part of like the the crew and the hairstylist and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she seems to have one expression in the entire movie, which is mostly fretful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a there's a couple frets. We're, we have dueling frets uh, at a certain point in this movie. Um, speaking of which, we have Ginny's frenemy, Ann Thomerson. She's played by Days of Our Lives veteran Tracy Bregman. That's right, another Days of Our Lives veteran. Bow down. <laughs> the best horror movie actors went through the school of Days of Our Lives. <laughs> it's probably not true. I just like shouting out Days of Our Lives. And when we first see her, she's being mouthed like a dog's chew toy by our resident foreigner, Etienne. Oh, God. He, yeah. <laughs> this this he's, character. He's a terrible person. He's is your it, typical French perv slash motocross enthusiast. We've a, seen that a million times. Is he a vampire? He, he was, might be. He's a piece of work is what he was. I, I <laughs> feel like he might be a vampire. That the whole scene in the graveyard where he like it just kind of appears... And, and he's like, he's like, I'll walk you home. I know there it is. <laughs> and it's like, I was waiting to see if he was hovering. <laughs> I think we need to revisit the film and see if he reflects in any mirrors then. Because th- yeah, he's, he's just completely just in, in, in an entirely different movie. He is playing a very specific character, but we don't ever really know what that character is. He, he sounds like he sounds like Udo Kier in, in, in Andy Warhol's Dracula. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't think does. I don't think that was actually in a French accent. I, I don't know. I think it was some vague European accent. I wonder if he's French Canadian and is trying to play French and overplayed his hand or he's just really from Vancouver and they shipped him over and he's like uh I've seen French people talk. I know what I'm doing. I can handle this. I mean, How hard can the, it be? The, yeah. the, the key scene in, involving him was the first indicator that this movie is going to go off the rails in a, in a completely unforeseeable fashion. He is uh, thirsty, man. He has got to have his hands on any available woman. And this pretty much goes for all of them. Like, you, wow, they're <laughs> horny. This is a horny, horny group. Of people. Which makes uh, sense. It's a slasher. True. Usually you have a fuck couple. 
And here, everyone's a fuck couple. Except Ginny. Gin- Ginny is coded as, as the as the capital G good girl. Yeah. To a degree, but it's almost like the reason why she is sort of virginal is because she's been out of the game due to this mysterious brain injury. Otherwise, you would believe that she would just fall right in with these people. She's not really like, oh, I'm above all this. She never really says that. The only thing that holds her back is her constant need to grab the back of her head. And we'll see the reason why for that later on. Um, and jump out of cars. On. Yeah. Uh, then we got Greg. He's a hothead blonde in a silk jacket. And he's got a polyamorous gal on his arm by the name of Amelia. She's played by exploitation goddess Lisa Langlois. Uh, sadly, Lisa does not don any of her outfits from the class of 1984 in this movie. Uh, that would have been super awesome. She wears a lot of berets and terrible hair designs. Yeah, I think you mean awesome hair designs. I thought she was, she was glorious. She had her and, hair teased and, and, to the moon. I actually thought that Greg, for a split second, was um, played by William Zabka. <laughs> okay, yeah. He, he very much comes off like Johnny in the Karate Kid, especially mm-hmm. in the in the bar brawl scene. But yeah, he's your typical giant blonde dum-dum who likes to use his fists first and think 38th. So this is why this is why I, I am questioning what exactly they are the top 10 of. I think they've just declared themselves the top 10. And that's what's so infuriating to Mrs. Patterson. Well, there's only seven, that... there's only seventeen kids in the school, so it's pretty easy to be the top ten. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy to fall by the wayside. Speaking of uh, curveballs, when it comes to the top ten, we now have Alfred, uh, who is donning Keith Gordon and Dress to Kill cosplay. Yes, I thought I was like I was like that's dude from Christine. Yeah, it's they're they're really codifying him as Keith Gordon throughout like it is a conscious choice here yeah, yeah, um, yeah i feel like every almost everybody in this movie is supposed to look like someone else and I, I don't know like someone else who's already been in a similar movie and i don't know if that was intentional or not like with with, with Ginny, i get a lot of laurie from halloween mm-hmm. you know the very the very you know buttoned up kind of studious look and you know always looking vaguely fretful about something mm-hmm. and I, I just I, I i can only assume it must be intentional we get a lot of role playing throughout here and alfred is the guy perpetually in the friend zone and we will come to learn for a fucking reason they all need to be friend zone because yes. almost all almost all of these male characters exhibit some super creepy behavior at, at various points. I mean, just just inexplicably creepy behavior. Almost as if it's expected of them, or they were taught in a class that we don't see. <laughs> uh, Would that be Red Herrings 101? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, and that that is something that uh, we talked about a little bit in, in other places, is that, in a sense... Scream while it shouts out things like Halloween and Friday the 13th and to a degree Prom Night because Prom Night purports itself to have red herrings but never really follows through on it. This is the movie that I feel Scream is taking the groove of and doing something different with. You know, 
having better actors, using a better, you know, a, a, a director more confident with this particular style, uh, the technology is better, the writing is so much better, and so that is full of potential people. Like, those characters are awful, but they're awful in a teenagers are all kind of awful sort of way. And that's where I think the direct line goes in terms of, of why Scream succeeds. It takes Happy Birthday to me and eliminates some of the more fantastical things you can't really get away with in life and, and inserts uh, better writing and better acting. <laughs> like the well, entire so- third act. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and there's, there is a, a certain aspect of the twist that is that is lifted to a certain degree for for scream as well like a yes. certain like one of the like the, the character one of the characters motivations in in doing what they did again i mean scream didn't you know completely take the ball and run right into cloud cuckoo land with it as this one does but but you know there's yeah i can definitely see that there's a lot of aspects to this that aren't as you aren't as acknowledged as the nods to Friday the 13th and Halloween. But I mean, just, just the amount of red herrings in this movie, it, it's, it's like fucking clue here. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, okay, it's not who could possibly, it's not, you know, trying to figure out, you know, well, which one of these people is doing this? It's like, you know, which one of these people isn't doing this? Because it, it, it's completely plausible that any of these people could be, could be killing off their friends because they're all just a, a little off in some way. Yeah, or you have just unrelated murders where someone else was murdered and like, you know what? That's a good idea. Like Roy, he just like, okay, time to murder. This <laughs> this is my chance. It's time to get out those murder gloves and go to town. <laughs> murder gloves. I, I just feel like there also could be like a, a third act reveal that, that Crawford Academy is, is just a, a, a nice pastoral name for a psychiatric hospital. But particularly with the behavior of, um, oh god, the, the, I just lost the character's name, the one that goes up into the, the, the Belfry. Rudy. He just, I mean, he just seems to have some sort of psychotic snap in that scene. And it's just like, okay, what are they doing with this character? Where is this going? They never yes, followed through uh, with that, did they? They just kind of, like, he had a psychotic episode, nearly killed her. And then... It was like, well, it's like, oh, it was, a, it, was a, it was like, oh, it was a joke. I was playing a prank. It's funny, right? It's like, no, no that, that, was that not, wasn't man. funny. You need help. You, you but were... she's okay with it. Because moments, I mean, we'll... Yeah, nobody forget. Nobody, nobody remembers anything from scene to scene. No, they they have a temporary. Uh, when they walk out of where that setup was being filmed into the next, and they're like, "Wait a second, this is a movie? I've never read this script before." <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna read the lines that are highlighted here. I, I think it'll all work out in the end. The characters have a memory span of a goldfish. They really do. <laughs> it's like it's like the scene. We're kind of skipping. We're really skipping around, but it's hard to stay on track with this movie because the movie doesn't stay on track. Is yeah. the whole scene with with uh, with Anne and Ginny breaking into Alfred's house because that's what you do. You break into your friends' houses and you poke around in their things. I mean, didn't, <laughs> you know, didn't you do that when you were when you were a teenager? You just oh, you know, yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm just gonna climb into the window of my friend's house and just go, you know, looking through his personal belongings and you know, find 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 things find things to to use against him and perhaps steal a pair of his underwear and keep it in your pocket for good luck. Because why not? You know, but, as you do. Yeah, as you do. He's like tormenting them with this model head of a girl that he knows is missing. 
in the next scene, they're all hanging out and hugging and, and cracking jokes. And it's like, okay, is this some kind of like, you know, Twin Peaks type thing where this scene actually <laughs> takes place before that? And we're not dealing with a, with a linear time frame here because nobody's behavior makes sense. The way people react to things doesn't make sense. It, it's, it's, it gets to a point where it's a little disorienting at times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that whole Alfred scene is played to like, okay, we're discovering information. Alfred's been missing. Someone else has, has, has disappeared. We think he might be up to something. They sneak into the house. And it's like his house is full of two things and two things only. Stuffed animals and noir shadow lighting. Yes. <laughs> and then they discover a bunch of body parts. And their friend's severed head. And he walks in is like, eh, think you found something, huh? Think you're real cool coming in here to my house. And they're like, ah, oh, but, uh, uh. And then he yanks an eyeball out of this head. And they're all, oh, real cool, Alfred. I still have questions. He, he's a taxidermist. How do you know that's not her fucking head and just a fake eyeball? They just, they totally let it go. Like, that was traumatizing. That was ill-timed and inappropriate. But, oh, run along, you little scamp. <laughs> and well, they just never address it again. It's like, okay, we can wipe all our concerns about him off the table. <laughs> no, no, you can't. <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's, it's okay because they don't really seem to be... It, it takes a very long time for these characters to express the remotest amount of concern that their friends are disappearing. Yes. I, I think uh, it may be, it, it, it's maybe up until the third or fourth person is gone that they finally, you know, express anything other than, you know, making cracks about that they're off fucking somewhere. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I, I, I mean, again, you know, I, I realize that teenagers can be a little callow, and a little self-centered, but I think that if you have a group of friends and you know, three of them disappear within what two days, two or three days, and you don't hear anything from them, you're gonna express maybe a a a, you know, a, wee, a wee bit of concern. Yeah, your boyfriend just ups and disappears, and you're like, okay, you know, that's traumatic. The police are here; they think he's dead. Let's all go down and like smoke a dube <laughs> by the side of the pool. Like, I gotta get away from all of this. All right, we're we're jumping all over the place. We haven't even introduced all the characters. Let's let's let's, let's crank. We're almost done. We have Steve. Uh, he's played by Matt Meatballs Craven. Uh, he is perennial. Yes, he's a he's a that guy. But he was particularly a that guy at that time because of his tremendous afro. Uh, then we got Rudy. He's a semi-psychotic, and he's also the most ethnic person amongst all of them. Because maybe someone took an Italian wife at some point. I don't know. Everyone else is lily ass white. Uh, he's the, he's, then, the, he's the prankster, but he he takes it to a, a a psychotic degree. Yes, I think he is coding prankster for sure. You're right about that. Uh, then we finally we have Maggie, uh, who spends the entirety of the movie just fretting about dudes. She's our uh, she's the anti fretter to our lead fretter and Jenny. Uh, and that's Crawford's top ten, minus one. Um, they have this dust up with the Shriners. Uh, they put a rat in one of their beers, and that blows up in their face. Uh, so they all take off, and they decide they're going to play the game. Here's what the game is. There's a drawbridge that's going up. You race out towards it, 
and you jump it as it's raising, and apparently this drawbridge has zero gates that would get in your way on either side. Uh, and this is a fun time for everyone involved. Uh, so they all have a specific number that they're supposed to go in. Uh, they do this. Uh, the one guy, Steve, is a compulsive gambler, so he makes a, a, a bet uh, with Greg, uh, who's going to be number five over the bridge, that he won't do it. Uh, Steve actually ends up shitting out, and Greg says, fuck it, I'm going for it, and goes over this bridge as if it's Hardcastle and McCormick. <laughs> it does a good $1,500 worth of damage to his car, and he's like, eh, I get 20 bucks out of it. Worth it for me. He's rich. That's a rich person thing to do. We get the cluing in that Ginny has suffered from some sort of traumatic event in her past. And once Greg uh, jumps the bridge the other side, uh, here comes Anne and she is pissed off that people have completed the actual game that they all decided to do. She had stuffed uh, Ginny in Greg's car and then when Ginny freaks out at this bridge jump, uh, responds to it by uh, thrashing Greg and going, I ought to break your neck. So, Red Harry number 15,028. <laughs> yeah, there's of, a lot of, of, of many uh, of many more to come. Yes. There's a lot of those uh, popping up here and there. Uh, Jenny takes off down the side of the road, and wouldn't you know it? She has to walk through a graveyard where her mom happens to be buried to get to her house, because that is a very common thing that is not very common at all. Uh, but I was say, that's, that's, a, that's a lucky break to uh, you know have your house right next to where your mom is buried. Oh yeah, well it makes walking to it very simple. And if you keep a pair of shears right there, it helps you maintain your mom's gravesite, which is something that everyone does. <laughs> I actually does thought it? she, I thought she had the shears stored in a little tiny coffin at one point. <laughs> like I, I thought that she like pulled like a little mini coffin from behind the the the, the headstone. I'm like, okay, what's happening here? Oh. She's got, oh, they're, guard, they're gardening shears. Okay. But you wouldn't want to just leave them out. You want to have a separate wood box that you keep near there. And she only seems to ever visit her mother's cemetery, her mother's gravesite at night. Yeah. Which I, I'm not sure what the, the the significance of that is, other than, you know, kind of looks cool and creepy with, you know, fog constantly, you know, gathering around the headstones. I, I guess if you're looking for a certain mood. Mm-hmm. To to you know, visit a cemetery that that would do it. Yeah, the only thing missing from that cemetery is a wolf man. <laughs> um, it's very creepy. There's a lot of low lying fog, and it's also always populated with dudes perving on Jenny. What the hell? Oh was yeah, that about? It, like what? Yeah, it, it, in addition to to the oh it's you scenes, there are so many possible killer but not really POV shots in this. At a certain point, it kind of does away with it, but early on, it's a little heavy with the POV shots. Well, because it's... And the way that these characters approach her, it just doesn't... I mean, why are you sneaking up on her? I mean, even even when it's revealed, oh, it's just uh, this guy, and oh, it's just that guy. He doesn't mean any harm. Yeah, but why is he lurking around in a cemetery while she's visiting her mother's grave? I mean, that that, that for one thing, that's probably not a time you should approach somebody anyway, particularly if you're looking to hit on them. <laughs> and 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 secondly, you know, maybe you should announce, you know, that you're coming instead of just coming up behind them very slowly and in a very sinister manner. Especially if nobody, you know they nobody, got shears. Yeah, I mean, nobody <laughs> in this movie knows how to greet each other properly. 
<laughs> no, no, we're but we're about to get a great demonstration of how bad people are at at saying simple greetings and goodbyes. Uh, <laughs> but uh, before we get to that, uh, we run into Antian, uh, who very forcefully wants to walk uh, Jenny home. The few steps left for her to get home to her very dark house, uh, and she's like. No thanks. And he's like, no, no, no. I really want to put my hand down your pants. I mean, walk you home. <laughs> and she's like, no, thank you. <laughs> and this time he manages to semi-listen because he's like, I'll oh, just like fall back and break into your house while you're getting undressed. Oh, God. This movie is so creepy in so many ways. <laughs> okay. So once Jenny's inside the house, we're going to meet another character because we haven't met enough of them yet. This is Jenny's dad. And Jenny's dad does the thing that I think is the scariest moment in this entire movie. And that is say goodnight in a way that sounds more like I'm about to murder you. <laughs> he also, they also kiss on the lips, which is a little kind of like unnerving. Yeah, and, and he's there's a lot of adult men putting their hands on her in this movie, and like I said, I mean, this it's it's all red herrings. There's yes. there's nobody in this movie acts normally. I mean, yeah, you, you've like, got you, you've got a psychiatrist who is who is hugging her and and kissing her on the cheek. You've got her father who is you know, has his arm around her as they're going upstairs to her bedroom, and I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> I, I I think I shuddered more times watching this movie, and and this wasn't even during the the, the murder scenes. This was watching the, these characters interact with each other. It's like back the hair on the back of my neck was grazing. No, I think it is scarier. When it is trying to act normal, than when it is trying to scare you. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, and I, and I have to wonder: it's like, is, are these characters supposed to be acting normal, or was the the screenwriter saying, yeah, this whole town is bunch full of bunch of fucked up people. We've got to, we're trying to go for a David Lynch situation before you know the David Lynch town even became a thing. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask the screenwriter: is this is this how you think normal people act? Is this how you think like like college kids interact with each other and how they treat each other? Because I have questions. Yeah, yeah. because I don't, I don't think you know a, a a father is going to, and it wasn't like he was touching her in a suggestive manner, but there was always a hand on her, you know, a hand on her shoulder, or they're hugging, or he's I'm like stop touching her, and it's the same thing with the psychiatrist. It's like you know, psychiatrists aren't supposed to be that familiar let's say, with, with their patients. Yeah, it's like everyone's playing that secret game, okay? And this is something you get taught, you know, in an acting school. It's like your character has a secret that only your character knows. But every person's secret in this movie is you're a murderer. <laughs> and that's the way they play it throughout. And every time Harold opens his mouth in that scene and practically throughout the entire movie, even though he only has about three or four scenes... I, I, I'm convinced that a monologue from the opening of a Twisted Sister music video is about to <laughs> pop out of his mouth. <laughs> and yeah, so Ginny uh, pops upstairs and, and, and dips into her soundtrack, finds the live from the Regal Beagle soundtrack. Even, even it's she, play. Even though she's got a, a Genesis poster prominently displayed on her bedroom wall. Well, that's not what you bathe to. Genesis <laughs> isn't a, a bathing music. <laughs> It might be. Is is, it is, might be. is is generic disco though too? I mean, don't you want to say like relaxing? 
You know, maybe you know some Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young or something. Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, it needs to be more AM Goldish. Is, is my suggestion. Is some some lo- Loggins and Messina, perhaps. <laughs> exact Amundo, you read my mind, Gina Radcliffe. <laughs> and this is where we learn that nothing gets between Jenny and her Jordash jeans other than very heavily stitched and thick panties. <laughs> I. Listen, I'm not going to get on anyone for their choice of underwear, but who chooses this underwear? It is, it's like a bikini bottom, and it is very aggressively stitched, which I would find chafing. <laughs> yeah, I could see that, but I was more puzzled by the fact that she she took her shirt off and then hung it back up in her closet. Yeah, I was kind of weirded found, out by that. I was like, girl, yeah, you I were sweating earlier. <laughs> You, you just that. ran through a, a graveyard. Like, you're gonna. That shirt is You know, soil. you're exerting effort. You're gonna be stanky. <laughs> she did. You need to wash that shirt. She give, Yeah, if you're dirty enough that you need a bath, that means that shirt should <laughs> that probably shirt, go in the laundry. Yeah. So, uh, meanwhile, someone. It, she thinks someone is uh, in. Uh, her shower it turns out just to be a random shadow because her house is full of crazy shadows and uh, someone steals her underwear that someone being at the end we learn later on and that's it that's that's all you get uh, we're back to school the very next day um, and that's where we learn uh, how hated they are by both teachers and administrators at the Crawford Academy everyone hates this fucking crew of numbnuts and there's a reason, because, like, they're constantly pulling gags on everybody. They're inappropriately laughing. Uh, they refuse to make eye contact. It, it gives the impression that they're running drugs. <laughs> that would have been an interesting prequel. Yes, it would have. Well, one of them is gambling, so you're halfway there right there. Oh, yeah. You get yeah. in fast and loose with something and then you like you start breaking the law one way and then you end up in debt and someone says the way you work it off you, you sell molly to all the other kids at the crawford academy and steve would totally pick up on that he would that would be the guy that's your front runner right there uh yeah so our headmistress uh hates them uh berates them in front of the class uh then we get this weird little frog leg electrocution demonstration in which Rudy is struck by cartoon lightning at one point. That is not a great special effect, everyone. If there's any special effect that lets this movie down, it's the static shock Rudy receives to the nose. Oh, and yeah, from that yeah. moment on, Rudy looks like a 45-year-old man for the rest <laughs> of this film. It aged him as well. <laughs> yes, it did. Very much Very so. Special for the rest lightning. of the film, he is super sweaty. And has large bags under his eyes. <laughs> but this frog leg experiment isn't just to gross everyone out. No, this is the first of Ginny's flashbacks. Now we're going to get her backstory. And if there's one thing that I really like in this movie, it is the device that takes Ginny into her flashbacks. Where the camera suddenly starts to fall over. <laughs> I really like it. It's effective. I don't know why anyone else hasn't picked up on it other than this isn't a super po- super popular movie. But it is a really cool device uh, that it, I enjoyed. It reminded me, it, it reminded me a, a little bit of Creepshow. Yes, there's a lot of deliberate camera moves throughout Creepshow, that's for sure, yeah. Uh, we get a flashback here uh, to Jenny being a guinea pig 
She's received some sort of injury, and she's been housed inside of a metal donut in order to regrow her brain? Uh, I don't quite understand the, the medical purpose behind that metal donut, but they give us some pseudoscience. They're basically Frankensteining her brain back into existence. And that was... Yeah, they're, very, they're, very, they're very vague. That was one of the, the uh, scenes that the MPAA had a problem with and, and made, made them cut a little bit of it uh, in order to get that R rating down from an X rating was the, the brain surgery. I can believe it. It's, it's fucking freaky. Which I'm, I'm reading was is... done by an actual neurosurgeon on a dummy. Uh, that was, that's IMDB, though, so I don't, I don't know. It, it might not be true. Yeah, that's true. There's something, too, that, and I relate it to the, um, the spinal tap scene in The Exorcist. Oh, yeah. Where you yeah. feel very out of control at this very vulnerable person. And the idea that you would be awake for your own brain surgery and her reaction to it is legitimately affecting. I, it's, it's not just slasher scares in this movie. I think the, the actual brain injury stuff is legit interesting. Yeah, I found and that, effective. that really unsettling because she was awake throughout. And, and I, I didn't like that. I didn't like her weird little twitchy blinking the whole time that it was happening. Because I, <laughs> I imagine that if someone was cracking open your skull, that, yeah, you'd probably blink a little bit too. But uh, yeah. it was still really weird, really unsettling, and I, I, I got squeamish, more squeamish during that scene than most of the death scenes throughout, which were good scenes. Her brain matter squishing out of her skull is probably one of the grossest things. And it's so clinical, and the idea of you having this flashback to a doctor going, ah, she's dead, give it up, give it up, is, <laughs> is I mean, that's like nightmare-inducing. Yeah, he's and he's like angry about it too. It's like call it, she's dead. Which is <laughs> like really weird. Stop making me stuff her brain back in her head. Let's just call it already. I got a golf <laughs> tournament. So she pops out of this, and this is where we meet David, Doctor David, uh, her doctor. Uh, Glenn Ford rocks a disco medallion throughout this, and <laughs> is very out of place. Yeah, he's got he's at that one scene where his like his shirt's all like unbuttoned halfway down his chest, and he's got the medallion and just kind of like he's just hanging out at uh you know, at the ladies' night at the Lido. That's like slow your roll, Grandpa. Like maybe you know keep your singles activity to yourself. <laughs> you know during hospital hours, you could pull back on that. Like he. The only thing he doesn't have on his person is a coke nail. It's very <laughs> odd for Glenn Ford. I would have loved to see a coke nail on that doctor. <laughs> that would have brought the whole drug running uh, top ten gang to to a full circle there. <laughs> because they're supplying um, him with, with his blow. That yeah. would have been great. Uh, <laughs> I'm writing this fanfic tonight. I'm doing it. No, I like it. Make it happen. Uh, the top ten have taken some sort of blood oath where if one of them has an activity, they all have an activity. So now we get to watch at the end do motocross, which is about as exciting as me describing it. <laughs> Not very. Uh, I, I like their I, I like their dainty the dainty little kicks between him and the uh, and one of his competitors on the motocross track. <sighs> yeah, there's not a lot of danger. Let, let's put it that way. It doesn't feel like a lot of danger in what's happening, but we're supposed to be signaled that it's dangerous. Uh, he ends up winning, 
everyone runs onto the motocross track, which does not seem like a good idea. <laughs> and, and they all hug one another in joy and love. And we learn that Steve has gambled on this motocross race and earned $200. That means they're drinking for free at the Silent Lady tonight. And this is also where we learn that every single member of the top 10 is obsessed with Virginia. Where is she going? Why did she go there? Who is she talking to now? She is the queen of the thirst traps in this group. Yeah, they're all, they're, they're everybody, every character at some point stares at her in a, in a sinister manner. That's some weird stuff going on with them. It really is supremely, supremely odd. Uh, Alfred, in particular, is the one who gets a lot of the attention here. Uh, in fact, he's used as a transition device. He walks straight into the camera. <laughs> I, love, I love that. I, I watch it. Okay, what is it going to stop? What is it going to stop? What is it going to stop? And it's his full torso cam. Full torso into the camera, blackout. <laughs> Here's our murderer. So well, wait, wait, we didn't. You, we completely skipped over the, over Etienne proudly telling Virginia, "Yeah, I have your underpants in my pocket. It's good luck." What the shit was that yeah. about? <laughs> and they just kind of this is supposed over to get it. someone to sleep with you? Right. No, 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 no. There might as well be cartoon ducks walking around <laughs> them. That is science fiction and fantasy, my friends. <laughs> I was shocked. He pulls out her panties like like it's no big deal. Like, look what I did. Like, this will get her to like me. This will totally impress her. She's got to sleep with me now. This is the route to her heart. Hey, I broke into your house and stole your underwear. No. No. But I did it for you. That doesn't work. I did it for you, baby. It doesn't matter if you did it on a dare or whether or not you were instructed to by the President of the United States in order to find a map that allows you to save the world. Don't fucking tell that person then that you stole her underwear. You're not going to sleep with them. Yeah, it's like a, that, that whole the whole scene's like a creep off between Etienne telling her that he stole her underwear, and then you've got Alfred watching from a distance, shot with like kind of like a fisheye lens. So, so that he looks as creepy as possible. Yeah, he's starring in a stealth Beastie Boys video that no one knew was <laughs> taping at the time. Uh, and then, yeah, we get this very directional transition that tells you he's the murderer. Spoiler alert, he's not the murderer. Uh, a, we see a darkened figure uh, cloaked in all black with the exception of white tennis shoes because it's the 80s and everyone has white tennis shoes handed to them once they leave the hospital when they were born and uh, this person sneaks down where Etienne is in his own garage working on cleaning his motorbike it's running and he's wearing that fucking Harry Potter scarf <laughs> right next to it this is the birth of no capes as a rule, people. <laughs> He's definitely not a Ravenclaw. No Ravenclaw would be dumb enough to wear a scarf while working with uh, spinning machinery. <laughs> I, I will take your word for it. Uh, <laughs> Let's say he's a Hufflepuff. This is the, this is the Hufflepuff we're working with here. <laughs> Again, I will take your word for it. I, the, the people's ability to uh, really read into Harry Potter, even though I've read through the books three times and I'm currently reading it through it with my son, I don't pick up on so much of this. I It might be a little uh, generational, um, 
I'm not able to believe in Harry Potter stuff and apply it to real life yet. Oh, well, that's because you're, you're other, a muggle. Other you're than muggle, everyone so. should stop. <laughs> everyone should stop arguing in that fucking tent in that last movie and go do something already. Yeah, that I can, stop. I can agree with that. It's like half a fucking book of people arguing in a tent that moves from place to place and the argument never changes. This has been why I hate the last book in the Harry Potter series <laughs> podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, Etienne uh, is working on his motorbike. Our killer uh, sneaks in, just drops that scarf right into that rear axle, and Etienne's face gets sucked right into the back wheel, and blood flies everywhere, and then the killer revs up the motorcycle some more. It's the movie's good. mean, people. That's I pretty, like a it's, mean it's movie. It's pretty great. It's a pretty... Yes. And, 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 it, and it is a well-deserved death. Let, let's just... Let's just... Uh, I mean, this, this is definitely a, a character who, who commits state rape on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, having his face torn off by a, a motorcycle wheel is, is, a, is, a well, is a well-earned death. Yeah. The world's a better place. I also love right after the death, the, the camera did a little slow push into the mutilated head through the spokes of the wheel. And I, I'm <laughs> living for that shot right there, which was one of the, the shots and scenes along with Bernadette's throat slash that had to be trimmed to satisfy the MPAA. I can believe yeah, it. Yeah, they sure. had a big problem with that, yeah. that face mutilation. <laughs> yeah, I, I I'm disappointed by the the I think maybe this and Pet Cemetery Two are the only movies that incorporate someone's face being pressed into a a, a motorcycle wheel, and it's it's a pretty great death. I mean, it's a pretty good way to take somebody out. They should really utilize it more often. They had to have done that in one of the Final <laughs> Destination movies, or maybe one of the later ones. It seems like one oh, of those deaths that that you should see often, but you really don't. You know, just so much more panache than just hitting somebody with an axe. Yeah, because it's mechanical and it's out of your control yeah, and the whole flying idea. viscera everywhere. <laughs> oh, it's so gross. Uh, so we cut then back to the silent lady again, getting that shot of a headless lady in the background. Uh, everyone is crowded around a four top, and there are eight people there. Lisa Langlois' outfit and hair are absolutely insane, pairing <laughs> yellow with pink. Uh, very few people can pull off yellow and pink in the same outfit. Um, but she can, because she's Lisa Langlois. She's got that ability. And then cut to Anne and Jenny breaking into Alfred's house. It's, it's a little sudden. Yeah, and, and I can't... Why were they breaking into Alfred's house? He wasn't there at the Silent Lady. And because Bernadette still hasn't shown up, and they're, they've decided to investigate. We got a little Scooby-Doo action going on. But I thought... Aren't, isn't he supposed to be their friend? Yeah. <laughs> yes, he's a friend that they don't trust 100%. And there's also another game going on here so it really how much we want to talk about this depends on how much we actually want to spoil the ending oh, no okay. we shouldn't spoil too much yeah. you've already at least not yeah I, we've spoiled a great many things but needless to say there's one scene going on and then there's another one that once you know how the movie ends will we'll give you another view of why it occurs but basically, we're furthering the whole red herring sitch. Um, as we mentioned before, uh, they discover rando body parts, stuffed birds straight out of the set of Psycho, 
and a headless Bernadette, which turns out to supposedly be a, a life or death mask or some sort of special effects wizardry of some sort. It's never really illuminated. Anyways, in the next scene, everyone's forgot about that. Yeah, everybody's fine. Even, even you know, she just acts normally. Everybody, I, it's so boggling to me because even if it turned, it turned out to be a fake head... I mean, he is tormenting them with, you know, a, 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 a dummy of a, their very recently missing, possibly dead friend. Yeah. It, it's just it's just acting so menacingly that, you know, yeah, all right, yeah, great joke. I am staying way the fuck away from you from this point forward. <laughs> I, I feel it's a running thing in, in horror movies in which people forgive pranks you implausibly easy and i i just i don't know i mean i feel like you particularly in in the the oft you know repeated trope of characters pretending to be dead you know like let's you know there's always the the, the funny gag of the guy you know pretending to hang himself or or yeah. you know pretending to be drowning and it's like you know that's not really all that funny and i don't think i want to hang out with you anymore and it's just it's, <laughs> it's, it's did that a lot y- a lot, and 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 even in situations where, you know, okay, you know, this person is feeling you know, uneasy or nervous or for whatever reason, or you know, even this person's been traumatized before. Yeah. So let's play a gag on them. Let's pretend I've hung myself, <laughs> and it's and it's just you. Know, I I don't know how well, if at all, that would fly in real life, and yet it's something that these kinds of movies fall back on over and over and over again. Oh, it was just a joke. I didn't mean to scare you. It was I was just playing with you, and then everybody's fine again. And yeah. the the other movies, what they tend to do is they'll they'll set it up pretty well beforehand, where this person will play a prank, scare the final girl, and it's fine. He plays a prank again, scares the final girl. He's not really dead. He's fine. And then that third time is usually when he's actually dead. The final girl finds him and says, "Oh, quit playing around." And then she realizes that his head falls off, and it's for real. But we yeah, end no, up with he, a Shelley situation. Yeah, no, he he just, he just goes. He just just goes bonkers he just like snaps and turns into like a serial killer it's like it's like they they came upon this they they got to this scene the writer got to the scene where where they discover bernadette's head and then he realized oh crap i still need to squeeze like half an hour out of this movie uh it was all a joke we're we're just going around guys (laughs) just kidding Turn the page, and, and he is, and he is not in the slightest bit surprised to see them there. He goes right into, "Well, I'm going to freak them out by pretending this head is real." Right. Yeah. That's weird. Uh, which we've never seen Alfred like take the reins like that, so it's very out of character. But then no one talks about it after the hand. Like that was odd that Alfred was such a wiener last night. Oh well, you know Alfred. Like it's never talked about. It's never discussed. People simply move on with their lives. Uh, and yet another day at the Crawford Academy. Um, this is where uh, Jenny and everyone else is starting to get quizzed by an increasingly frustrated Mrs. Patterson as members of the uh, top ten continue to disappear one after the other. She's not getting very far, and I also don't trust her as an administrator at all. Yeah, she, she also keeps thinking this is a prank. And, and I, I'm not sure what kind of prank involves people just, you know, not showing up somewhere or not telling their parents where they are or, you know, and, and I'm not sure what the point of uh, giving everybody detention is. She's just pissed. That'll straighten them like out. She's, 
somewhere in the middle of this is yet another snobs versus slobs story that I don't <laughs> that just seems you know snatched out of another film entirely and plopped into this yeah, she, for no particular she, she reason. She kind of implies that that every group that comes in and calls themselves the top 10 are super obnoxious and and you know, are allowed to get away with whatever they want and and I'm like, and again that that lends the question of top 10 what <laughs> you know yeah. it's like because i mean it would you know again are they the most popular are they the smartest you know this is sort of treated with like the whole top 10 thing is treated with a sort of gravitas that is never really explained it's interesting that you bring up tradition like every year there's this group of assholes who call themselves this designated thing and you're like okay that's a very odd tradition that seems like you could clamp down on that and if it is popularity let me ask you this does this group of popular people get that way because they're always hanging out together and going out to watch high noon (laughs) on a weeknight together this is what popular people do who are they popular with? Because they only hang around with each other. I don't know. They're very into one another's business. And here's where we get into yet another bit of weird tension. And that is Steve is now hanging out with Rudy's girlfriend. But it wasn't really Rudy's girlfriend to begin with. And they're all very up in arms about it. And Rudy is acting like he's on cocaine. Um, he's got his collar popped up he's driving a weird uh, nissan 280z uh and then when he drives away he blows out his cheeks like he's satchmo <laughs> i noticed that I'm like I'm like he looks like he's a like a five-year-old throwing a fit <laughs> it's very weird but they're all like ah that's the way rudy gets and they all wander off smash cut to greg lifting weights in his garage this this Just, was one of my favorite death scenes. I always kind of sleep on this a little bit because there's an because Im- I always get caught up in the preamble to it, which is he's expecting someone to come over, someone does, and then you get this whole oh hey you, it's good to see you here. I didn't expect you, and no no more personal pronouns or names are stated as we kind of waste time and watch him add weights to the weight bar as he's bench pressing and then the the gap the gambit here is to wait until he's put so much weight on the bar that he's in a vulnerable position pull away the weight stand and then drop a 25 pound weight on his crotch <laughs> this was wonderful what more could you ask from a horror movie <laughs> I love. I, I totally, I, I totally forgot the, uh, the triggering the whole thing by dropping a weight on his crotch. <laughs> I mean, I you, I can't believe that I always forget that there's groin damage in this movie, and the way it's done is pretty visceral. <laughs> I mean, this is not. This is again kind of mean, and at, I kind of like it. <laughs> well, because these characters are so awful. I mean, they. they you know, it's not like one of these movies where you you don't even know about these characters enough to form an opinion on them before they're immediately killed off. The movie takes its time to establish that, that these are kind of awful people. But, oh my god. And the thing is, like, you get really uncomfortably close to his shorts. 
right before it. I, I, the, 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 the way it was shot, I was thinking, I'm like, is he getting a hard on? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I, I was like, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. This movie's gone to some weird places already. And then, flam, here comes a, here comes a weight dropped right on his bits. I'm like, oh, okay, that, yeah, all right. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, this came out the exact same month as Friday the 13th Part 2, which is, if Kill by Kill uh, listeners are will remember, was the film in which we see a lot of visible penis. Yeah. <laughs> and so we get some more. It's like Hollywood was crazy for visible penis. Like, I gotta, we gotta see some dong. And frankly, why hasn't that come back? Why aren't I seeing better outlines of people's junk on screen? Come on, Hollywood. Why don't you give me what I want? You know, you get a little bit of that in Alien Covenant with uh, Fassbender. In the very beginning, he's oh. wearing a kind of a... But that's robot. He's wearing kind of... It's a well, robot dog. It, it looks like human peen to me. I mean, he... <laughs> <laughs> You, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch uh, your HBO programs for the, for quality peen. <laughs> There's a lot of, but then I have to suffer through a lot of reverse cowgirl because we can't show this dude's face. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or a lot, of, a lot of you know, doggy style to 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 yeah, uh, you emphasize to emphasize you know how how dark and 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 sinister the things have gotten on this show. Yeah. Very true. Uh, this death uh, uh, of Greg is only outmatched for me by Debbie Stevens' uh, weight room death scene in Night of the Night uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Part Four: The oh. Dream Master. Oh yeah. And she, you know, actually her her scene didn't even end with her killed it and end in the weight room, but no. it was still pretty memorable. Because her arms get split open and she turns into a cockroach. Yeah, there's there's a lot of bone cracking yeah. and visible splitting going on there. It, yeah, that's that's a. That's anytime a anytime I see someone lifting weights, I always think that's going to happen and I have to look away. But this scene comes yeah. it comes pretty close. You know, his neck gets crushed by the the weightlifting bar and the the blood sprays with the force of like like someone took a t-shirt cannon and put you know one of those those blood bags in it the blood sprays pretty far and you know which which is which is odd because his girlfriend uh Mm -hmm. she shows up presumably maybe 20 minutes a half hour after he's killed and there's there's no blood right and some and somehow or another this you know we've already spoiled that this female killer has managed to lift 500 pounds of barbell and place it up against a wall. Yeah, she's got some psycho strength, I guess, is what we're alluding to. Is in the moment she I mean, dragged is, it across the room, dragged it across the room, and stood it up on one end. Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we <laughs> As you about, do. We talked about Mrs. Voorhees' incredible forearm strength for a 50 year old woman. Yeah, uh, here we have, you know, a healthy younger woman who apparently has been doing a lot of arm curls, uh, has been able to get rid of Greg's body, roll up the rug that was underneath that bench, uh, clean everything, uh, place that barbell up against the side of the door just so, so we get a, a surprise scare uh, on Lisa Langlois out of nowhere. Mm. 
Uh, and then the next day, everyone's forgotten about it because soccer. <laughs> soccer mania has taken over the Crawford Academy. And you know who's at the center of that? Rudy. Rudy's a soccer star. Yeah, everybody's fine. He, he, he had his fit the night before and was cursing everybody out. But they're all there, you know, cheering him on at the big, at the big soccer game. Uh, a soccer game that Steve's bet money on yet again. Uh, we're using this. Uh, Alfred saves the day by uh, catching a penalty kick. And they all win, and uh, then they all run to the center of the field, and oh my god, this is so wonderful. Uh, but we still have the tension between Rudy and Steve of who's going to get their mutual girlfriend. So Rudy decides, you know what? I'm going to get, uh, I'm going to slice off a side piece, and I'm going to ask Jenny to go up into this creepy bell tower with me. And this is where we get into Rudy's actor workshop. Oh moment. my god, this scene. I was just like I, I read the the Wikipedia page and I'm like, oh, why doesn't he get killed here? <laughs> <laughs> because my god, just what an insufferable human being in every possible way. He's ta- he's got the funny voices, he he's you know, forcing her to, to go up in this belfry even though she clearly doesn't want to and and yeah, and that's that's before he brings out the knife and just goes into this fugue state, which is just terrifying in every possible way. Yeah, it is so histronic, and then ends so abruptly, and then just it it just people forget that it exists, but it's so insanely date rapey, and then it just like cuts to the guy who the guy the priest of the church. Uh, going to ring the bell and discovering a severed rope covered in blood. And the first thing he yells is, help, murder. I like that. Why is it has to, why is it go right to murder, man? Because, you know. What, what I found, what I found boggling about that whole sequence is when Rudy shows up the next day, again, Jenny is fine. I mean, he, he terrorized her with a knife. In, in this tiny little room on top of a church, and she's like, oh, where have you been? Well, go back. He, he should go back where he came from because he, <laughs> he is not a safe person to be around. <laughs> no, why would you ever be like, oh my god, I'm so glad you're safe. The person who tormented me in a fucking tower with a knife. And, and then the only thing, the only reaction stranger than that is when they find the the, the skull buried in the, in the, the garden, and, and everybody laughs. Ah, ah, oh, it's another prank. Yeah, four of our students are missing and presumed dead. <laughs> you know? There was zero <laughs> reason for that scene to be in the movie. Zero. But 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 we have but we, we had a good laugh because you know some asshole planted a planted a prop skull in the garden. That was weird. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. We we needed we needed this relaxing laugh of a of a joke played by somebody who who is a sociopath. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in between here is where we get that that surgery scene. So we've we've kind of just dissected that, and then the police come, and everyone's like, "Oh, we keep uh, everyone. Everything's coming up missing teenagers, uh, and they can't find anything." Then Rudy reappears, uh, and that means that that's all fine and well they find a, a fake well i guess not a fake skeleton but a skeleton that already belongs to the school in and of itself oh i also forgot to mention how inappropriately short the cheerleaders skirts are in the, the soccer game oh yeah Mom's they've day. got they've got the most chintziest looking nylon alpha they look like sexy cheerleader costumes you'd buy at like halloween adventure <laughs> At this point, 
Rudy turns out to be fine, and then we get another scene of Jenny wandering into the graveyard of doom. <laughs> and another person is lurking out there with his giallo gloves on. It turns out it's Alfred, and he's reaching into his pocket as so he approaches slowly. her. slowly. Why is he reaching so slowly into his pocket and he's carrying a flower? Number one, <laughs> why do you carry a flower in your pocket? Yeah, just keep that out, man. You don't have to pocket that. And it's done so slowly and so menacingly. I'm watching this thinking he doesn't have anything in his pocket. He's got something like bubble gum or, 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 you know, he's, I don't know. It just, it's done. It, it, it gets to a point where it becomes a little ridiculous how slowly and sinisterly he pulls this object out of his pocket. It's kind of nuts, but he. And the music is building, 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 building. And we obviously see that Ginny is there, and we, we've established that this is where she goes quite often in the middle of the night. Uh, she, And as he approaches, she just casually turns around and stabs Alfred in the stomach. Uh-oh. Uh, I think we've discovered our killer, everyone. She did him dirty. Ginny. Oh is stabbing people or have we (laughs) or 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 is she (laughs) i kind of feel bad for him here because he was he was weird he was weird but he was just gonna give her a rose (laughs) and she you know she gave him a a sound stabbing (laughs) in the gut that he kept that he kept squashed in his pocket for for whatever reason capital crime No, I, no, he doesn't. He's not really earning that death penalty. No, he he doesn't earn his death as richly as as Etienne does. Uh, this also shows that Jenny is wearing those giallo gloves, and that's where we gotta leave it for this time, people. Uh, that's part one. Don't worry, we're gonna get to it in part two. We are not done talking about Happy Birthday to me, but as you can see, there's so much in this movie. We can't get it all to it in, in one go. So let's very quickly get into Choose Your Own Death Venture, where we decide of the deaths that we covered in this particular program, if we were forced to die that way, which one we would choose and why. And up for grabs is uh, getting smashed with some weights in your chest and also getting that groin shot, getting stabbed in the stomach with pruning shears. Uh, then we have Etienne's face damage in the back half of a motorcycle and an old-fashioned throat slashing in a parking garage. And Anya, as our guest, I look to you, Ooh, thank uh, you. for uh, uh, your answer. I'm definitely going with the throat slash here because uh, I can't do the scarf choke and... and uh, <sighs> mutilation of the face by via motorcycle mm-hmm. wheel i can't do that i gotta i gotta look fly in my in my open casket and uh <laughs> we, we can't be having none of that so um i would go with the throat slash at the at the worst you could just tie a ribbon around it i still look good you know but uh <laughs> and you die fairly quickly i'm not so sure about being crushed by weights it seems like uh, there's still a fairly good chance of excruciatingly painful survival there and uh uh yeah, and, and then as far as being stabbed with shears, I, I used to work in a hospital, and uh, I've seen people who have taken taken sharp objects to the stomach, and that is a painful way to go. Uh, so I, I would rather just get it over with quick, get the, the throat slashed, and uh, pop out. All right. <laughs> uh, Gina, what say you? Uh, I'm taking out the, the, the face to the motorcycle wheel. It's pretty oh. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no open casket wow. for you. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. But you know what? I figure if the, the 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 scarf gets tangled up in the wheel, you probably your neck's probably snapping anyway. So it might be quicker than you think. Yeah, I see. Uh, now I'm going to go in a slightly different direction. I'm going to take the weights because I also believe the weights coming down on your neck would pretty much sever your spine real fast. You're gone. I mean, yes, I'm going to take a nut shot, but I hate to tell everyone I, it won't be the first one I've ever taken. <laughs> So, I am almost positive uh, that taking that nut shot plus the, the one-two punch of the weights is going to make you void yourself as you go out. <laughs> I plan... Listen, I plan on voiding myself when I go out. Uh, you're not it's asking all, me to do anything I wasn't already planning on, on doing. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so that will do it uh, for this time. Anya, uh, where can uh, people learn more about you and read your stuff? Well, I am on Twitter, most of all. Uh, I am at Bookish Plinko, which is bookish as in someone who likes to read books, and Plinko as in that stupid uh, Price is Right game with the chips that you dropped on. Don't you dare call that stupid. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is my favorite game, yes, hence the uh, the Twitter name. And my work can be found at AnyaWrites.com. That's Tanya without the T, AnyaWrites.com. That's where you can find all my writing anyway. excellent wonderful check it out people hey uh gina where can people find you on the internet i write about 70s and 80s television at tuneintonight.wordpress.com check it out people do it today if you want to reach out to us there's a couple ways to do it we're at kill by kill pod on twitter uh kill by kill pod at gmail.com for email at Kill by Kill Podcast on Instagram. And as always, we implore you, if you could give us a kind review on iTunes, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you tell us what your favorite kill is, and either the Friday the 13th, or even happy birthday to me, we will read it here on the air. That is our solemn promise to you, the listener. And hold on, people. There is more to come. The body count continues here in August. Thank you so much for showing up. For myself, for Anya, and for Gina. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Kill by Kill is produced by We Write Good and is intended for entertainment purposes only. Friday the 13th is owned by Paramount Pictures. Jason is owned by New Line Cinema. No infringement is intended. Kill by Kill logo was designed by Josh Hollis. Visit him at joshhollis.com. The Kill by Kill theme was created exclusively for us by Revenge Body. Get the whole track and much, much more at revengebodymemphis.bandcamp.com today.